This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, Episode 16, A Tale of Two Brothers. Traditional financial planning is no longer working. And in the new normal economy, your hosts, Mark Willis and Holly Bach, invite you to join us as we engage the new and improved steps for establishing financial sanity. Be curious, be stable, be sane. This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast. Helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future. Welcome, listeners. Welcome, everybody, to Not Your Average Financial Podcast. Uh, with me in the studio this morning is Holly Bach. Hello, everyone. And Katrina Willis. Hi there. And I'm Mark Willis. Glad to have you all with us today. Uh, now, in the last three episodes, we've gone through some toolbox episodes, one focusing on something we've called opportunity cost, another on interest being, you know, whether we should pay or earn simple or compound interest, and also liquidity, the access to your cash. Uh, so, you know, if you're looking to defeat opportunity cost, if you're looking to pay simple interest and earn compound interest, if you're looking to keep your money as liquid as it possibly can be, for, both for emergencies and for opportunities, you've come to the right episode. And actually, this is the first in two parts. Uh, so we've we've really looked at uh, some toolbox episodes, some some financial jargon, but we're going to put it right down into a real live story with two brothers. Uh, so we believe that one of the best financial strategies we've come across is something we call bank on yourself. And, you know, like the internet, bank on yourself didn't just solve one problem. It's I, I think you'll see in this story, it solves all three opportunity cost, interest and liquidity. So like the internet, the internet didn't just solve one problem, such as, you know, for my, for example, my insatiable need for GIFs of cute kittens doing taxes, but it solved lots of problems all at once, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so really we're looking for this tool and, and we're looking for a vehicle that can be the best of all these worlds that we've discussed, the opportunity, cost, liquidity, interest in one. So what is it that can take all these things and give us uh, really the best scenario in, I, in each of these categories? Um, and so with the bank on yourself strategy, you know, it is an opportunity where you can defeat opportunity cost. <laughs> I like that. Very and cool. that would, you know, otherwise be working against you your entire life. Uh, you can kind of get in that, you know, green zone when it comes to interest to the point where you're, you know, paying simple interest, but earning compound interest. And it's a strategy that doesn't lock up your money, uh, but rather it keeps it liquid and available to you whenever you may need it. So really bank on yourself as a strategy that can give you uh, the best of all these worlds. And it's really, you know, more you know, putting bank on yourself together, it's more than the sum of its parts uh, once you add it all up. So we thought that it might be kind of fun as we're coming up on the Christmas season here uh, to just kind of keep things a, a little light for the next couple episodes and just share a story with you. Um, so rather than diving into anything too deep, too heavy, you know, keep it a little bit light for the holiday season. Um, so we thought it might be kind of fun to see how bank on yourself and how this average investor that we've kind of been talking about through our whole podcast, uh, talking about, you know, not being average and what it looks like to be average. We thought it might be kind of fun to look at a story to compare the average investor to the, you know, bank on yourself uh, investor, let's call it. Um, so we thought it might be kind of fun to kind of jump into uh, this, you know, fictional story and see how all of this works in action. And you said fictional, but I would like to say that a lot of this information that you'll hear in the story Holly, wouldn't you agree is, is actual, like 
you know, I would almost say archetypes of people we've worked with, met, talked with over the years. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. By fictional, I just mean they're not actual yeah, real life yeah, yeah, people yeah. The in the of themselves. Yeah, right. um, however, yes, absolutely. We, we've done our very best to keep everything as, as accurate and, um, you know, totally re- realistic as possible. And some of the best fiction actually points to the truth, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. More than nonfiction sometimes. Yeah. So what might this all look like? you know, in the real world, on the street level, and what would the difference be just in where we save our cash? That's really what we'll get into. So if, uh, without further ado, let's, uh, let's dive in. Let me tell you the parable of the two brothers. So George and Sam were both born as identical twins. They liked their burgers cooked the same way. They both played guitar. They both liked to eat oatmeal with raisins. They were just alike and about every single way you could imagine. But there was one thing that made George and Sam very different, how they handled their finances. It wasn't so much that one lived lavishly and the other was a you know real Scrooge or spendthrift. Nope, they were both really good at budgeting and they were both living within their means. Uh, they each made contributions toward their future. They were both frugal with their purchases, but it was their philosophy toward money that made all the difference. It was their philosophy that drove their beliefs and their beliefs which drove their goals and their goals which drove their actions. So as life is ramping up, George and Sam, they're both married. They each have a toddler and a newborn. I mean, I'm telling you guys, these guys were exact twins in almost everything. They have two kids and they're both married. They're both making about $100,000 a year. And they're both, of course, as twins. They're both the same age, age 26, when we meet them here. So let's look at George. George faithfully listened to the financial gurus on the radio. He kept his debt down to a minimum. He participated in his 401k at work, putting in about 1000 bucks a month pre-tax into his account. And wants to someday be able to max out his 401k and put a little extra away into a brokerage account when possible as well. He's really good Uh, He was doing really well this year in his uh, investment accounts, and it really felt great. He was hitting almost 12% growth this year alone. George wasn't going to leave his family without any inheritance, though, if he should pass away. So he dutifully purchased a term life insurance policy, which would be enough to pay off his mortgage. And he set that term life policy up to expire around the same year that he hoped to have his house paid off. He saw that the term insurance was basically a necessary evil. Uh, and he was hoping he could pay as little as he could for it, as he heard from all these ar- articles and shows that he listened to that you really should just buy term insurance and invest the rest in the stock market. In addition, he and his wife had set up uh, some 529 accounts for each of his kids' college funds. That said, they never really calculated the cost of college or what they'll be responsible for uh, when it comes to paying for his kids to send them off to school. George was aware that there were fees and that fees were an issue with investing. And he felt like his passive index funds were definitely the way to go to minimize costs. He had TDFs or target date funds in his 401k, and he enjoyed the freedom of letting those TDFs rebalance themselves toward more conservative allocations as he approached his retirement years. He saw his average fee of about 1% assets under management fee on his statements, and he felt okay about that. He felt pretty good about his financial future. But George was feeling the pinch in the payments. Since he was packing so much into his brokerage and 401k accounts with his two kids at home, 
he had financed uh, the two vehicles that he and his wife owned, which totaled a thousand bucks a month in car payments. Now that stung a little, but he convinced himself that the 3% interest on those cars was just not really that big a deal. And he also had some credit card debt. He originally got the cards at 0% interest, but some of the issues with the roof on the house came up just before the cards would have been paid off, and he had to use those cards for some of the roof repairs. So he was in about $16,000 in credit card debt at the time we met George at about 15.6% interest, which he really isn't happy about. Right now, he's paying just the minimums on his cards, uh, but he hopes he can tackle those with earnest starting next year. All right, so Holly, that's George. Let's get, a, let's get a look at his twin brother, Sam. All right, yes, Sam. So similarly, Sam was also a family man. He too had a strong sense of duty and love for his wife and kids, but he was doing things a little different, as we talked about. He had a 401k at work, but he really didn't think it was worth putting more than the bare minimum into that to get the match at 3% of his earnings. He'd done some homework and noticed that the 401k was going to be taxable in retirement, a time in the future when Sam believed our country would be taxed at a higher rate, actually. Besides that, he realized that putting a lot of money in a 401k would keep the money locked away for most of his working years, and he valued keeping liquid access to that money for the stuff of life, as he called it. In addition, he didn't like the excessive fees hidden in 401ks and didn't think that TDFs would really protect him from market corrections. He also wanted to save for his kids' college, just like George, but similar to the 401k, he felt the 529 college accounts had too many gotchas, too many fees, and ultimately exposed the money to too much market risk. That said, Sam was no cynic. He did have a little fun with his small brokerage account. It was the money he played around with and tried his hand at, at various investments over the years. He wasn't making any contributions to it. Rather, it was just sort of popping up and down. Just like his brother George, this year he was up 12%. But he believed you should only invest money you can afford to lose. Everything you can't afford to lose, like retirement or college savings, should be saved instead. So where did Sam do all of his savings then? If he's not using his 401k, he's not using 529 plans. Since he saw term insurance as flushing money down the drain, and since he had all this extra cash from not packing his money into an illiquid 401k or 529 plans, several years ago, Sam had actually started a specially designed bank on yourself whole life insurance policy which was a high cash value, dividend-paying whole life policy. He already had a decent sum saved in there, and every month he faithfully packed in a sizable chunk of his paycheck into his policy. He started this policy before he was even married, but now that he was, he felt good coming into the marriage with this asset and knew that, since it is life insurance, his family would be taken care of if something should happen to him. He's used this policy once or twice already, uh, once for his car he bought the year before they got married, and once for the down payment on their house. It was nice getting access to his money, which was originally meant to just retire on, and use it for the stuff of life. He didn't have any car payments or credit card debt, but he did have a policy loan against his bank on yourself plan. He set that up with his advisor back when he and his wife bought their house. They were able to pick their own repayment schedule and they chose an amount that worked with their overall budget. 
They're on track to their uh, to paying off their policy loan in the next three years, in time to use the policy cash again to buy his wife's next car. Sam has enjoyed his first policy so much that he's actually hoping to start one on his wife and even his two kids as soon as he gets another pay raise. And to hear the exciting conclusion to this, we'll check back in in uh, part two of Tale of Two Brothers. But uh, let's take a minute. And guys, I'd love to get your thoughts on this story so far. How are Sam and George doing? What's different about them? You know, what's the primary motivating factors that you'd say uh, uh, contribute to why they're doing what they're doing? Well, I think with Sam, he's got a totally different approach. You know, George is doing the, the classic moves that we see all the time on TV that people say, here's what you do, you know. Buy term and invest the rest. Use credit cards when you have emergencies. Those sorts of pieces of advice are in full play with George. Sam is going a different route, and um, he's he's not going the way of, of the mainstream. Yeah, Holly, what about you? What, are your, what thoughts or uh, feedback do you have on the story so far? Yeah, I think it sounds like um, you know Sam Sam's resisting almost in a way. I mean, it's it's almost kind of like at every turn he's hearing one thing <laughs> and saying, mm, "No, actually, that's not for me," and and going another. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he's he's kind of resisting that that mainstream advice. He's resisting the things that that he's you know hearing or maybe just kind of being told without any real background or uh, maybe you know sustenance to it he's just being told what to do and he's saying well maybe i shouldn't just do this because you told me to <laughs> or cuz this guy on the tv told me to or you know my neighbor joe told me to um so i think that you know you can kind of get that feeling from him that he's he's willing to kind of think differently and and um think really you know what is important to me and what do I want out of um, you know my money and what it's going to do for me and, and you can tell from the choices that he's making and the directions he's going with things that he values safety mm-hmm. and he values predictability. I mean the reason he didn't go the route of the 401k or at least not contributing more to it than you know his, his match um, is because he you know didn't like the idea of his retirement savings being at risk. The reason he didn't you know, do the 529 plans. He didn't like his kids' college funds being at risk. Um, so definitely seems to be a little more uh, risk averse and, and have a different idea there of what things should look like. I've, I totally agree. And it's interesting. I don't know if we, um, if you go back and listen to this, listeners, uh, it sort of sounds like Sam started his bank on yourself plan only with the intent of retirement in mind. And then as the years went on, oh, whoops, we need a new car. Oh, whoops, we need to, you know, fix this or that around the house, or we need to save up for our wife's next car. It's interesting that uh, when, when George has the oh, whoops, of the, the stuff of life, as Sam calls it, he's having to go out and ask a bank for it, whether it's credit cards or something else. Uh, so the stuff of life happens, but it's a matter of, oh, uh, whoops, well, we already have the money in this bank on yourself policy rather than, oh, whoops, we need to go beg a bank for some cash. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what, what would you guys say is similar about George and Sam? What are some things, like I'm thinking about their long term. They're both thinking long range, right? They're both imagining their, themselves in retirement. That's, that's actually not average uh, <laughs> in, in the case of most folks. But, uh, you know, most of our listeners are listening to this podcast because they're looking at their long range financial future. Uh, and that, that's partly what I think makes you guys so cool. Uh, our dear listeners. But what are some other things that keep Sam and George both on the same track? How are they How are they seeing the world the same? And how are they seeing it different? Well, I think that they're, they're preparing, you know. I mean, I think if, you know, they were 
or really, you know, they, they sit down and, and they're making conscious decisions to help move them forward um, in their finances and better their financial future. Um, I think you could say that of each of them. You know, both of them have sat down, they've thought it through, they've made choices as to what they think is going to be best for them and their family to help them, you know, work towards their goals, whether that's college for their kids, uh, whether that's, you know, their ultimate retirement. I mean, they've they've done it all. Like they're both thinking and they're both planning and making choices in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, I guess it, it goes back to opportunity cost. You know, we talked about liquidity just a minute ago where, you know, we didn't, Sam didn't expect to have uh, a need for that bank on yourself plan. Uh, at least it wasn't stated explicitly, but he had liquid access to that cash. Now you just brought up opportunity cost, Holly. The the choices of where I'm going to put my money, whether a 401k or a bank on yourself matters. In fact, like uh, like our opportunity cost episode, it matters more when you're younger. Mm-hmm. Uh, what decisions you make about your money. Yeah, that's great stuff. Katrina, what are your thoughts? They're both security focused. They're thinking about how can I keep my money safe and how can I not get in trouble with it? Um, the ways they go about answering that question, very different. One is more reactive, one is more proactive. But ultimately, security is the big question here. And it's interesting how they can come up with very different ideas. What what makes George, you know, the guy with the 401k and all that, what makes him interested in security? How does he keep uh, avoiding risk or whatnot? Um, you know, I, I can actually think of one or two ideas, and you bring up a good point there. What, what, what makes him uh, searching after security? Well, I think just making the, the mainline decisions that everybody makes. Everybody's right. doing this, so it must be the secure way. Exactly. Um, there's... There's a lot of security drive in that. There's also a lot of security drive in just saving or following um, following what he sees everybody else doing, which I'm, I'm saying the same thing again, but that's it's a tribal thing. Right. Yeah. Know? Yeah. It, it feels nice and warm when you're in the pack of lemmings, right? <laughs> oh, that's a good point. <laughs> All right. So uh, what about some of the statistics that we used? Uh, we brought up that George is paying 15.6% interest. That's actually average, uh, the average, the national average. It sounds lower, though. Most cards I'm seeing are 23 to 30 percent. Mm-hmm. So it might be factoring in some of those zero interest cards, yeah. too, to get it down to 15.6. What about some other statistics, guys, that we used? Uh, he carries 16,000 um, and pays only the, the minimums on that. So that's, that's his credit cards, 16,000 okay. in debt and then $320 a month on his payments. Mm. Um, wow. His car loans, he's got 30000 in car debt, and he pays roughly 500 bucks a month per vehicle every month. Which is, by, that's according to Experian 2016. But that was just amazing to me when we were doing some research on this. To, be, to have the average car loan paid at a thousand, two cars in the family, 1000 bucks a month flowing out the door. That's, that just blew me away. Yeah, and the rate on those new cars is 4.31%. How about his mortgage? What's how's that looking? He's got seven hundred and sixty-six dollars a month at four point one percent. It's got an, a balance of ninety-nine thousand left. Okay, got it. And that was according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics data. Uh, so you know this is this is real-world data. Sure, good stuff. Hollywood. What else? What are some other statistics that you stumbled across? Yeah, well, we had uh, kind of painted the picture of George, the average you know, American, let's say, um, as investing 3.5% of his income. 
And so that was according to the St. Louis Federal Reserve study uh, that was actually just done this last July um, in 2017. And then also, we also included the fact that, you know, he doesn't have any liquid savings or available because he doesn't have more than $400 uh, sitting in a, you know, savings account or in liquid cash. Um, we know that actually from another Federal Reserve study that we cited in, I believe it was our second episode. Mm, yeah, I think you're right. Yep. Yep. Uh, so guys, uh, stick with us because next week we're going to drop part two, the exciting conclusion of the tale of two brothers. Let's see how the story of George and Sam unfolds over the years. We're going to flash forward uh, into their later years and let's see how it's all working out for them. Okay. So thank you for joining us for another episode of Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future. This has been another episode of the Not Your Average Financial Podcast. To join the financial revolution and start thinking different about money, go to www.nyafinancialpodcast.com and click Request a Meeting. The topics presented in this podcast are for general information only and not for the purposes of providing legal, accounting, or investment advice. On such matters, please consult a professional who knows your specific situation.